Hey, good morning. Mary Magdalene, she's the focal point of the story. And she was asked twice, woman, why are you crying? Mary Magdalene shows up all over the scriptures, all over the gospels. And she had a whirlwind three-year journey with Jesus. And now she's in front of the empty tomb crying. You know, her story started when Jesus removed seven demons from inside of her. And then she made the decision with some other women to follow Jesus. In fact, she followed him closely. And out of her own fun, she was able to support Jesus and the disciples in their work, in their ministry. Mary had deep, deep devotion to Jesus. She loved him. She was following him as her Lord and as her Savior. Mary also had a tremendous amount of courage. When Jesus was arrested, all the men fled. They ran. They were afraid for their lives. But Mary stayed close. In fact, in all four gospel stories, you find Mary Magdalene at the cross, as close as she could be to Jesus while he was being executed. She was one of the first to be at the tomb. The first to see the risen Lord and to get a commission from him. John's purpose in telling this story is found just a few verses after this story that Kyle's read for us this morning. John said, I put this story here at the end of this gospel, including all the other stories, so that you may trust that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is indeed the Savior. It's my purpose, that's my hope, that you would put your trust in. In him, and as you put your trust in him, as you believe in Jesus, that you might have life. This story is in the gospel. This story highlights the resurrection so that we might indeed have life. When I listen to Jessica's story, I think about Mary's story, and I see this transition from chaos to confusion. To conviction, and I think those three movements are in all our stories. You think about it the things that happen in life. You get in a car accident, and it's utter chaos, and now you're confused. And then you develop a conviction I got to get out of my car. You go to college as a freshman, your whole life changes, everything is brand new, it's chaotic, you're confused, you're not really sure what you're supposed to do. And then you move to a pathway to conviction. Your marriage falls apart. Ends in divorce. It's chaos. It's confusion. And then it's conviction about a new path. You lose your job. Same thing. You give birth to a baby. An incredibly chaotic moment. Moves to confusion. But then to conviction and joy. You give birth to a special needs baby. And the intensity is even, even greater than that. Chaos, confusion, conviction. Mary's standing at the tomb and her life is full of chaos. Woman, why are you crying? Imagine Mary outside 
that empty tomb. There's just been utter chaos for the last three days as she remembers and reflects on Jesus being crucified, Jesus being executed on the cross. There's so much fear. The men have all run. Everyone is hiding. And now there's the disappointment of the empty tomb. Where is he? What have they done with him? All the disciples' dreams were shattered. Their hoped-for Messiah is now dead. The dreams are crushed. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life when you have these dreams when you're longing for something grand something better in your future and then that dream just gets crushed this is a world falling apart at the seams what is happening around me what is my future going to be like in fact there's great fear that the romans would find them find these early disciples and kill them as well you know it says uh, while it was still dark wasn't it great well maybe it wasn't so great to get up this morning and to come down here in the dark while it was still dark it says Mary went to the tomb you know there's great danger for Mary as a woman to leave the city and go outside to find the tomb while it was still dark you probably had that experience I do lots of times at nighttime doesn't the nighttime feel more chaotic you wake up and then all the anxieties and concerns of life aren't they worse in the middle of the night while your brain gets running and you just chew on those things and you can't go back to sleep Everything feels like it's not working. And then the sun comes up. Your mind begins to change. You get greater clarity. For Mary, while it's still dark, her emotions are just out of control. You know, in these stories, there's, there's, there, there's this, this anxiety. There's, there's lots of crying. And everybody is running. It's just a chaotic scene. It's more running in this story than in all the Gospels combined. Think of the last time that you cried. I was really moved, Jessica, when you said that Ryan did not cry for his first year. There's something about crying that is so important. When was the last time that you cried? I mean, you really cried. Maybe you were alone because you were embarrassed. You don't want anyone else to see it, but, but, but you cried. Maybe for some of you there actually weren't tears, but inside you were crying. Or you were with a friend, a friend that was really crying over the state of life and the way the world's working out. Imagine that you're standing with Mary outside the empty tomb and she is weeping. This time of year is a reflective time of year for me, the, the celebration of Easter. But it comes with some, some history of people that are close to me that have died. 
think about uh, Taylor Grace. March 31st, years ago, she died in her mother's womb. And I think about Laura, who died on a mission project, a vivacious high school student. And then it seemed like um, evil just entered the world. We think about April 20th with Columbine and how it's repeated over and over. And then April 22nd, years ago, I think about Craig, who was killed by an errant discus during the track meet at Peninsula. And those are celebrated in my mind every year when I think about their families and what that means for them. The fact that it continues to bring tears. I think when John tells this story about Mary, he's got an eye to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1. The second verse, the opening story, says that there was darkness everywhere. There was emptiness. There was chaos. And the Spirit was brooding over the waters before God decided to say, let there be light. Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked this very important question to Mary. Why are you crying? And there's no shame here. There's no sense of embarrassment or trying to say, Look at kid, you keep crying and I'm going to give you a reason to cry. No, that's not what Jesus is doing here. He genuinely wants to know, what, what, what is it, Mary? Tell me your story. Woman, why are you crying? The angels asked it. Jesus asked it. See, in Easter, Jesus sees your tears. Jesus is able to look inside and he understands and he is full of compassion. And for Mary, her chaos moves to confusion because she feels that there's someone behind her as she's by the empty tomb and she turns around and now she's confused because the story says she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, she wanted to finish the burial preparations and her arms were full of spices. She had come to the tomb to anoint and to put the spices to preserve the body of Jesus. And he was gone. And when she sees this man, she thinks he's the gardener. I always wondered what Jesus was wearing that caused Mary to think that indeed he was the gardener in this garden. And in one sense, Mary's right. In one sense, she was looking at the risen Jesus, who's the new gardener in the garden. Because John, when he writes these stories, he's intentional, and he's thinking right now about two gardens. One in Genesis 2, in the beginning of the Bible, 
And then he has an eye to a second garden in Genesis, in Revelation 22 at the very end of the Bible. Two gardens bookend the story of God. In Genesis 2, God places Adam and Eve in the garden and gives them the commission to tend the garden, to bear fruit, to multiply, to lead the world into fruitfulness. And you know the story that that garden was ruined and they were banished. And now weeds and thistles have grown up ever since. But John also puts his eye to the garden in Revelation 22. Because Jesus now is the new Adam. He's the Adam who has come and has risen to show us how to tend the garden. So that we might have real life. So that there might be fruit and flourishing. In Revelation 22, John writes this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. He will wipe every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate today is the signpost that the old order is indeed passing away. The new Adam has come. The gardener is here to help us bear fruit and to flourish, to find life, life abundantly. So our frustration and our discouragement, our confusion, the chaos that comes our way, our anger, the anger that wells up that says the world is not as it's supposed to be. There's got to be something better than this. The chaos that I bring, my own failures, the crying, even screaming into the void of the universe. You know, when we cry out like that, we're actually talking to Jesus. When we're longing for something better, when we're agonizing, when we're discouraged and disappointed, when we complain out loud, you know we're actually talking to Jesus himself because he's right there. Even when we don't recognize him, he's listening. He's present. And then Jesus calls this woman by her name. The story simply says that Jesus called out Mary. And when Mary heard her name, when Mary heard Jesus use her own name, she recognized him. 
Jesus knows your name. And Jesus hears you. In the midst of whatever chaos or confusion has come your way. He's the gardener in your life. So the fog of her confusion clears and it moves on to conviction. She calls out Rabboni, which means my master, my, my teacher, my Lord. She hugs him. She holds tight to her Savior. But Jesus commissions her and tells her to go back to the disciples. And she runs back and she says, I have seen the Lord. She has new conviction that the old order of things is now passing away. The tomb was empty because Jesus was actually alive. She had hugged him. She had touched him. She'd been called by her name, by the risen Jesus. And now things were beginning to change. The disciples remembered later that Jesus had said before he died, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, Jesus said, it produces many seeds. In these days following the resurrection, the disciples went back over everything Jesus had said. And it was beginning to take on new meaning. They were beginning to understand. They were beginning to develop some real conviction about what was true and what the future was going to be. It's amazing that God chose Mary, this woman, to be the first to see the risen Jesus, to testify to the reality that he was alive. And she and the disciples, they began to be transformed and they, they met together and they prayed together. They sang together. They cared for each other and they cared for their neighbors. They cared for the world. And things began to change. The one seed had died and now many seeds were rising to life. We gather this morning because we are part of that garden. The river church, the churches that meet down this beach, the churches that today all over the world are celebrating the resurrection are seeds that have sprouted up because the one seed died. The only explanation that the Bible gives the only explanation is that the tomb was empty because Jesus actually rose from the dead. Jesus gave strange words to Mary. He said, when she hugged him, he said, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. No, no, no. I want you to go back. Mary is now called the first apostle to the apostles. Mary has a commission to go and tell others that Jesus was alive. It's a little bit like Aslan coming into Narnia after the darkness of the White Witch, where it was always winter and never Christmas. 
You remember her sleigh began to slow down as winter began to dissipate. We are in that world right now. Winter is beginning to go away and spring is on its way. We're in that world of the overlap of confusion to conviction. Life isn't the way it's supposed to be, but we celebrate the resurrection together. My friends, your chaos, your confusion can indeed turn to this conviction as well. Story after story illustrates that there's hope and spring on the other side of winter. Some people call this conversion. Some people have a moment of insight where their eyes are open and the scales fall off. For other people, conversion takes time. They struggle. They wrestle. They think deeply. They reflect on life. They're influenced by the people around them and the stories that they hear. And Jesus, little by little, begins to convince them that he is the way and the truth and the life. The next day, Jesus showed up to Thomas, one of the disciples, and Thomas was the doubter who said, I, 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 will, not, I will not believe it. I can't believe this. This doesn't make any sense unless I can touch him and I can see the scars. Jesus shows up to Thomas and he believes. And he says, Thomas, I'm so grateful. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for you that you now believe. But he said, blessed are going to be those who believe who have never seen me. That's the world in which we live. It's called faith. It's called trust. It's learning to put our trust that Jesus is alive. Brad's going to come on up. I think Olivia too. We're going to sing together. I'm going to invite you all to stand and we'll sing this amazing song. There's two lines in it that really stand out to me. The song's called Cornerstone. Christ in the resurrection is our cornerstone. And here's one line. The weak are made strong in the Savior's love. And the other line is, through the storm, he is Lord. I'd like to invite you as you sing, no matter where you're at in a relationship with God or Jesus, to just reflect on the weakness that we have that can be made strong in this risen Savior's love. And that whatever storm, whatever storm you're going through, we can claim and proclaim that He is indeed still Lord.